MechCast, Sunday, December 4th, 2022. Hey, Mech Geeks, it's time for your MechCast, the show for Mech Geeks by Mech Geeks. I'm Adam, and this is a show where we discuss all things Macintosh. How you doing? Welcome back to the MacCast. Glad to be back here with you for another week of Apple news, hints, tips, and all the goings-ons in the Apple and Mac community. How you doing? I hope you are having a wonderful day, week, weekend, evening, whatever it might be. Things are going pretty well here. It's getting a little cold. Uh, being that California boy, I think I mentioned this and. Now in South Dakota, it is getting chilly. We're moving to that time of year. But it's nice because it's like moving into the holidays, and it feels like the holidays. Even got a little bit of snow, which is pretty cool. I hope you are having a great time wherever you are as well. Looking over the show notes, we got quite a few things to get into this week. We're going to talk a little bit about Apple Watch and Apple Watch sales. We're going to talk about Apple trying to diversify its supply chain and what's happening there. We also have some new products and information to talk to you about. Uh, potential new improvements to the upcoming iPhones and a little bit of AR VR headset news. This is more related on the software side. We'll get into that a little bit. And then uh, we've got some feedback, uh, a little follow-up on outdoor smart plugs. We're going to get into iTunes store stuff. Yeah, remember the iTunes store? Had some questions related to that this week. We'll try to help a listener out with, uh, talk a little bit about packet sniffing. Yeah, you might be wondering why that's coming up, but uh, it's somewhat related to some of the things we've been talking about recently. And then a few more of your community gift ideas. Like I mentioned, it's the holidays and we're sharing with each other cool stuff that uh, you might want to pick up for the holidays. So that'll round out this episode of the MacCast. Should be a good one. So I say, let's just dive right into things. Starting with Apple Watch. Apple Watch still continues to uh, lead the smartwatch market Globally, we have the latest research data on top-selling global smartwatch bands from CounterPoint this past week. They say Apple saw a 48% year-over-year sales growth, thanks, uh, they say, largely in part to the popularity of the Apple Watch Series 8. As a matter of fact, they claim the Series 8 accounted for about 56% of all the overall shipments of Apple Watch for Apple. Overall, they claim the global smartwatch market grew by about 30% year over year. And Apple did see a slight decrease in their market share for what they call high-level OS watches, which basically just means you can install apps on the watch versus kind of simpler smartwatches. So they're kind of separating those two. But in the uh, in the first half of 2022, uh, they had about 54% of the market share in the HLOS market. And uh, in the back half of 2022 here, the report claims that uh, Apple has about 50.6% share. So still just over 50% of the market share in smartwatches, but down just slightly in the back half of the year. Sticking on Apple Watch for a second, also Apple's partner, Huish Outdoors launched the promised Oceanic Plus app 
for the Apple Watch Ultra. This is the uh, app that Apple showed off at the announcement that allows it to function as a dive computer for recreational scuba diving. So that is out and available now. If you have an Apple Watch and you're a, or an Apple Watch Ultra rather, and you are a diver, uh, you're probably pretty excited about that. It supports depths of up to 40 meters or 130 feet and has features like uh, being able to, to tell you your current depth, your dive time, your no decompression time, water temperature, time to surface, maximum depth, depth, excuse me, hopefully not the uh, not the former there, ascent speed, battery level, gas mix selected, so that would be your air or nitrox, nitrox mix up to 40%, and a whole, whole bunch more. So it's pretty cool that uh, you could have an Apple Watch on your wrist that also functions as a full dive computer now. So that is out and available, and uh, that's kind of the latest with Apple Watch. As you may or may not know, I think we've talked about this a little bit, Apple has been looking to diversify their supply chain over the past few years, trying to reduce its manufacturing reliance on China. And there's a new report from Reuters this week that says from 2019 to 20. 22, Apple has been able to reduce the number of Chinese production sites that they use from about 44 to 47% in 2019, all the way down to about 36% in 2021. They've been opening up and making relationships with manufacturers and partners in other parts of the world, including uh, India, Vietnam, Thailand, and the U.S. I This report didn't mention it, but I think Apple also has some manufacturing in Brazil still. Um, and, uh, you know, just diversifying all those component suppliers and things like that. All of this is great, except it looks like iPhone is still pretty dependent on china there's some estimates out there that say apple relies on china for about 95 percent of their devices and some reports claim that up to 80 percent of those devices come out of a single area in china basically a single plant uh thus we have ming chi kuo's predictions this week that uh, iphone 14 and iphone 14 pro shipments for the holidays could be down by as many as 15 to 20 million units. Apple's been struggling due to COVID and other issues going on in China around that plant. The plant in China was reportedly down at just 20% capacity in November. I think we talked about this a little bit. Uh, That is expected to be up to about 30 to 40% in December, so they're gaining ground. Uh, Piper Sandler also believes production will be resolved in December, but they say that Apple is still behind the original revenue estimates for iPhone by about $8 million. The bigger concern now is that buyers might just hold off if they can't get an iPhone 14 model right now they could just decide that hey it's not worth it let's just wait until iphone 15s come out in the fall and that could continue to hurt overall revenue for apple as a matter of fact according to quo he says that it could be down 20 to 30 percent or more uh, versus analyst predictions for the fourth quarter of 2022 so the numbers for apple in q4 are going to probably be below expectations As part of that chip diversification effort, Apple has been hoping to have a little bit more U.S. production. And you may remember that uh, their manufacturing partner, TSMC, is expected to have a new facility 
in 2024. They've been building a new plant in Arizona. It was expected it would start production of five nanometer chips, about 20,000 wafers per month. There's new reports saying that they could switch to a four nanometer process. This is coming from Bloomberg, and it's expected that they could give an announcement in the coming week, uh, attended by President Biden and Tim Cook. Apple is expected to use about one-third of the capacity of that facility, though what Apple might make there has been a little bit in debate, and this this recent report didn't really clear things up. Original reports claim that the facility would uh, would be used for chips that were a little less sophisticated, um, so not for processors, but for other components, because the facility wouldn't have the capabilities to actually produce processors. This week report, this week's report specifically said the facility would be making processors, which implies the possible production of maybe A series or M series chips, but it's unclear at this point. So maybe with the announcement this week, we'll have a little more details on what Apple might be making there. TSMC is also expected to announce plans for a second facility in Arizona for the production of three nanometer wafers. Apple is expected to be moving to three nanometer processes for M and A series processors. So maybe that facility will be uh, where they make new chips, but that one's a few more years away. I think 2025 or later. Again, announcement expected this week, so we'll likely have more details. Geekbench results also surfaced this past week that may indicate uh, the performance we can see from Apple's potential upcoming M2 Max chip. There was a post by Shrimp Apple Pro on Twitter that showed the results for a Mac 14,6 computer with a 12-core CPU and 96 gigabytes of RAM that doesn't really line up with anything that Apple currently has. The chip scored 1,853 in single-core Geekbench and 13,855 in multi-core. That's just above slightly above the 1755 and 1233 scores of the M1 Max chip. Uh, Doing the math, it's up about 15% faster than the M1 Max, and that's pretty close to being in line with the differences we saw from the standard M1 to M2 in the MacBook Airs, roughly um, up to 15 to 18% performance increase. So that could be the new processor. Again, just rumors at this point. The one interesting thing about this report is those two additional cores with the transition from M1 to M2 uh, on the standard processor, Apple remained with the eight core chip. So four performance cores and four high efficiency cores. It was expected that the Max chips would likely do the, do the same. The current uh, M1 Max is 10 cores, where we have eight high performance and two high efficiencies. So if Apple goes to 12, Um, It seems likely that they may be adding two additional, I would think, high efficiency cores. So eight and four, which would make sense. They could also go with, I guess, more performance cores. But I would say that the Geekbench numbers don't seem to show that. So we'll have to see. But it is expected uh, that we should have some new M2 Max versions of and and M2 Pro versions of the uh, 14-inch and 16-inch MacBook Pros sometime soon. It had been originally thought, you may remember, that they could have been out before the end of the year. 
that didn't happen, I would imagine we could see a version bump uh, in the first half of uh, 2023. But stay tuned for that. A new report from Nikai this week may indicate what plans Apple has for the cameras in the iPhone 15. According to the report, they say the next iPhones will have a new state-of-the-art image sensor from Sony. The new sensor uses a technique of placing transistors in layers separate from the photodiode layer. That allows them to pack in more photodiodes. As a result, the sensor can capture more light and increase saturation. This should help give better results in tricky photo situations like low light and extreme backlight and offer better exposure control. The piece doesn't mention if the new sensors will be limited to the Pro models only, but that is something we've been hearing recently as well, that Apple wants to further differentiate uh, the entry-level models for from the Pro models, and camera features is often a place where Apple might do that. So could be reserved for just the Pro models or maybe across the board. We'll have to wait and see. Apple did fix a crash on the iPhone 14s this past week, but seemed to be plagued by potentially a new one. And it's not the kind of crash you might be thinking about. Apple released iOS 16.1.2, and that provides improved crash detection optimizations on the iPhone 14 and iPhone 14 Pro models. Uh, You may remember that's a new feature, and uh, they were having a little bit of trouble with that. Apple also improved compatibility of the iPhone or iOS with wireless carriers. What was happening, if you may remember, with the crash detection is that there were issues where some devices were uh, calling emergency services when users were at amusement parks and specifically riding roller coasters. That we assume has been addressed with this latest update, but right about the same time they were announcing the uh, updated version of iOS, there was also a report uh, that I saw over on Mac Rumors of a ski area in Utah that said they were getting up to three to five calls of crash detection from skiers every day. They weren't too bothered by it because they see the advantages of the feature, and it's not clear if these new crash detection optimizations in 16.1.2 will also address the uh, the false positives from the ski slopes. We'll have to wait and see if those reports uh, calm down a little bit, but uh, it could be fixed as well, or Apple might have another update that they need to push out. And then finally, in the news for this week, we have a little AR VR headset news, this time around the operating system. Apple could be struggling to work out a name for its new upcoming baby. Reports this week from Bloomberg say that Apple has another potential new name for the operating system that will drive its rumored upcoming headset. You may remember that original reports were calling it Reality OS or ROS. I guess that didn't quite fit Apple's vision for the product because now the claim is that it will be called XROS with the XR standing for Extended Reality. The name is supposedly meant to potentially set Apple's product apart from some of their competitors as the headset is expected to focus on augmented reality capabilities along with the VR. 
As a matter of fact, we've heard rumors that Apple plans to have versions of maps and messages at launch that will leverage the augmented reality experience in brand new ways. So that should be pretty cool to see. Uh, augmented reality maps, I think, would be very, very useful. And I'd be curious to see what they do to leverage AR capabilities for messaging. Meanwhile, the new operating system may be giving Apple a little bit of trouble, and that trouble could potentially delay their launch plans. This is according to a note via Twitter from Ming-Chi Kuo. You may remember that some earlier reports said we could see the release of the headset in the first half of 2023. Now Ming-Chi Kuo claims that could be delayed until the second half due to quote-unquote software issues. It doesn't go into specifics on what those software, software issues are, are and even though the launch of the product could be delayed it may or may not delay the announcement which kind of makes sense components are expected to start shipping soon and the finished product uh, may be here in the late fall at this point according to the report although apple could still bring the announcement uh sooner Quo originally mentioned a potential January announcement. His new report doesn't say if that will be delayed or if he expects that to be delayed. I think Apple could, if they're delaying the release of the product, could decide to maybe announce and demo the product in, say, June at Worldwide Developer Conference. That would make sense because they could do that along with the release of a SDK and development tools to give developers time to plan and produce apps for the new device at launch. You may not may or may not remember that the device is expected to be very expensive and uh, probably going to be an early adopter style product. Apple is not expected to sell tons of units. I think Ming-Chi Kuo is predicting maybe up to 500,000 units by the end of uh, 2023. I don't know if the delayed launch release plan will affect that. And uh, he also didn't mention that in the report. But with that, that is going to do it for the news for this week. Before we move on, I do want to take a quick moment and thank my show sponsor, Simply Safe. You know, here at MacCast, we believe your home should be where you and your family feel safest, especially over the holidays. This season, give yourself and your family the gift of peace and protection with the number one rated home security system, Simply Safe. Uh, right now, Simply Safe is offering MacCast listeners 40% off a new security system. So don't put it off. Here is why I love Simply Safe. It really is the customizability and the flexibility of the system. I was able to get started off with one of their great systems and it had everything I needed to get started. Uh, and as I became more familiar with the system and my needs grew, like when I moved recently, I was able to easily grow the system and add new sensors and cameras to monitor more of my property. And what's great about all that too is setup and installation was an absolute breeze. It's why Simply Safe was named the best home security system of 2022 by U.S. News and World Report for a third year in a row. In an emergency, their 24-7 professional monitoring agents use Fast Protect technology, exclusive from Simply Safe, to capture critical evidence and verify that a threat is real so you can get a priority police response. Simply Safe is whole home security with advanced sensors for every room, window, and door. 
HD security cameras for inside and out, smarter ways to detect motion that alerts you only when a threat is real, and even hazard sensors that detect fires, floods, and other threats to your home. 24-7 professional monitoring service costs under $1 a day. That's less than half the price of ADT's traditional professionally installed system. And with the top-rated SimpliSafe app, you can stay in control of your system anytime, anywhere. Arm or disarm, unlock for a guest, access your cameras, or adjust your system settings. Don't miss your chance for massive savings on my favorite security system. Get 40% off any new system at simplysafe.com slash maccast today. That's simplysafe.com slash maccast. There's no safe like SimpliSafe. And a big thank you to SimpliSafe for their support of the show. You may remember last episode, I was getting ready for the holidays and putting up some of my holiday lighting, and I had a thing of the moment, kind of a tentative pick, because I got these lower-cost um, smart plug, outdoor smart plugs, from Energizer. And they're not technically from Energizer. Energizer, uh, it had licensed their name, basically. And so this was a smaller company company I had not heard of. The devices are actually working really, really well. Uh, They're not HomeKit compatible, but they do work with shortcuts. So I've been using a shortcut for it and a scene, and it's been working just fine for for my needs, but many of you wrote in to remind me that if I did want HomeKit support, I could use something like HomeBridge to do that. And I've used HomeBridge in the past. We've talked about it here on the MacCast. It is a great way to get HomeKit compatibility on uh, devices that maybe don't support it. Uh, I run mine on a Raspberry Pi. You could run it on an old computer. I'll have a link to the HomeBridge project in the show notes at MacCast.com. There's all kinds of extensions for uh, different devices and things like that. Uh, it is a little bit fiddly and tinkery if you're not into that. There's also Hoobs, which is kind of an out-of-the-box uh, version of HomeKit. You can basically get it all ready to go. Uh, much more expensive than doing it DIY, but it is an option. And so uh, thanks for that reminder. I actually have to go find and dig out my Raspberry Pi. I haven't uh, haven't unpacked it since uh, moving here to South Dakota. So if I can find it, uh, maybe I'll hook that up. But like I said, it's working with Siri shortcuts, and that works just fine through uh, through my home pods and everything else. So uh, it's, a, it's a good compromise. A uh, few of you also, though, wrote in and said, hey, I have an alternate pick if you'd like. As a matter of fact, Dan mentioned the Meros Smart Wi-Fi Indoor-Outdoor Plug, um, about 20 bucks US, so not too bad, a little bit more expensive. I think I paid about $10 US for, for my devices. But the key with this one is it supports HomeKit out of the box. So it has HomeKit compatibility, so that may be worth looking into. I'll have a link to it in the show notes at maccast.com. And then uh, Craig wrote in and says, hey, I like the Casa Outdoor Smart Plugs. These are about $17 US over on uh the Casa website. And the thing about Casa is it's not HomeKit compatible, but it is from TP-Link. So a little more on-brand than the cheap ones, you know, off-brand ones that I got uh, in my local area. Uh, 
one of the advantages of uh, these Energizer ones that I picked up too was I could pick them up locally. Uh, no longer near an Apple store or even any kind of real big box store. We do have a Walmart, but uh, that's about it. So uh, just a couple of alternative picks. If you're looking for outdoor smart plugs, I'm sure there's other uh, ones out there that folks are using. If you do have a recommendation, feel free to send that along. Maccast at gmail.com. Received an email this week from Mike, who wrote in with a couple of great questions. The first of which was, hey, how can I search the iTunes store in the music app on the Mac? If you've been using the music app lately, you may have noticed that Apple has put a little bit more focus on their streaming music service, Apple Music. And iTunes has kind of been uh, relegated to the back corners of the app, should we say? So, uh, Mike, the first thing that you need to do is make sure that you are seeing the iTunes store inside the music app. I'm not sure if it's enabled by default anymore. Uh, You may need to turn it on. So if you don't see it over there in the sidebar, look at the sidebar, and if you don't see iTunes store listed, you have to go into the settings and turn it on. So go under the music menu, go into settings, and then on the general tab under the show section, there should be a checkbox for iTunes store. So just make sure that is checked on and then click OK. And then you should see the iTunes store in the sidebar. So you can access the iTunes store from there. You can go in and buy music. I think there's still a lot of you out there who prefer to buy your music versus rent it from Apple or Spotify or whatever it might be through streaming. Once you have the iTunes store enabled in the music app, now you can use the search box that's at the top of the uh, the left-hand sidebar there. That functions as a global search for all parts of the music app. So what you do is once you uh, enter into the search box, you can look over in the top right corner of the music window, the main window, and you should see tabs there to control which part of the music app you're searching. So depending upon uh, what you have, if you have Apple Music, you'll see an option for Apple Music. You'll see an option or tab for searching your own library. And then once the iTunes store is enabled inside the music app, you should see a tab for the iTunes store. So just click on the iTunes store tab and then you can perform your search and it will restrict the results to the iTunes store. So that's how you do that inside uh, inside the music app. Mike also had a second question. This one had to do with restoring an older Mac back to its original operating system. Mike has an old 2008 iMac that he was working on uh, taking to recycling or potentially a donation center and wanted to get the original operating system back on it after erasing it and sort of preparing it for donation. The issue was that he said, hey, uh, it wanted my Apple ID, my iCloud login, and uh, because I have two-factor authentication enabled on my account, uh, I wasn't able to get in. I actually got the notice of uh, the two-factor authentication code excuse me, on my devices, but there was no place to input it uh, in the older operating system. And that's because two-factor authentication didn't exist uh, back with that OS. So he says, you know, how can I get this enabled uh, when there's no pop-up? And I tried to find the details of this on Apple's support website, and I couldn't find them. I found some old links referring to this, so I'm not 100% sure if this old trick will still work. But it used to be possible for older operating systems 
to add the four-digit code, the passcode, to the end of your password in the login screen. So basically, you try to log in, you'd get the two-factor code, uh, obviously a login failure, and then when you got that code, what you would do is just tack the, the numbers on to the end of your password in the password field, and that should work for authenticating you on older devices. It's definitely worth a shot. I'm trying to remember when you get prompted for your login because if you are uh, preparing your machine for donation and you've installed a new operating system onto it, I don't remember if you had to authenticate just to download and install the OS and maybe that's what you're experiencing. But definitely, if you get the new OS installed, uh, you don't want to run through the setup process, obviously, and connect it to your iCloud or Apple ID. So uh, depending upon what you're doing, just uh, be aware there, Mike. But the, as far as the login goes, try that little trick. Again, I don't know if it still works, but uh, it may be worth a shot. And I hope that helps you out and answers a couple of your questions. Another question that came up via email this week is related to those smart plugs I was talking about because I mentioned, hey, these are cheaper, you know, off-brand smart plugs, probably just a cheap Chinese thing. Um, and uh, I may be a little bit leery about uh, the security and privacy on these things. And uh, I had said, hey, I might actually run a little check to see what these things are doing on my network. And, uh, you know, this is important to do even maybe when you have name brand stuff because just as an aside I want to mention this week uh eufy which they make um smart home devices specifically like cameras and doorbells and stuff like that they come from the same company uh their parent company is actually uh anchor which i love you know i recommend a ton of their products well, this week, uh, their Eufy brand got into a little bit of a kerfuffle. I'll, I'll have a link to the article from The Verge uh, that you can look into this. But basically, a security researcher out of the UK was um, playing around with his Eufy devices, which claim in all of their advertising that uh, they keep your data local, that they don't send data to the cloud. And what this researcher found out was that that turned out to not be true. They also claim that their video streams are fully encrypted, and that was also proven to not be true. So they got in a little bit of hot water uh, with some of their claims, and uh, they didn't respond to it very well either. I think that was more of the issue in my mind, that uh, when they got caught, they basically tried to deny and hide the fact that uh, they were doing some things that they claimed they weren't doing. Specifically, for facial detection on their doorbells, they claimed all that was happening on device and they weren't sending anything to the cloud. Well, it turned out they were actually sending a thumbnail to the cloud for the notification and didn't really tell anybody about that. And then they tried to deny that they weren't doing that. And, you know, again, the researcher pretty clearly proved that uh, this was exactly what was happening. And then they tried to backpedal and say, well, we delete the images after 24 hours. And there's some debate on whether that's true or not. So just a whole big mess. But the point uh, for our conversation is, is that, hey, maybe you do want to check up on some of your devices and claims and, you know, prove that they're doing what they say they are doing. And uh, so I received this week uh, a follow-up question based on some of my comments from Niv, and here's what Niv had to say. Hey, Adam, Niv from Israel here. Uh, on the last episode of the MacCast, you mentioned 
uh, getting a Wi-Fi plug and wondering what it's doing uh, in your network, if it's sending anything uh, that it's not supposed to be sending. And I was wondering the same, having bought two water leak detectors, uh, if you have any tips on which apps we can use to monitor and maybe some tricks on how to use these apps and what to look for. Uh, love the show. Keep sending us good information. Thank you. Hey, Niv, I'll try to help you out here, although I will be the first to admit I am not an expert in this technology. But there are a few things that we can check out. And I think the main thing that you want to look for when you're using these tools is network messaging and uh, callbacks to different servers and domains and, and things like that. So what you can do is you can run some tools on your network, specifically what they call sniffing, sniffing tools or sniffers. And I think the most common one and the one that most people use is a tool called Wireshark. I'll have a link to it in the show notes at maccast.com. Like I said, it's pretty technical and high end. Uh, luckily, there are some videos on the website that kind of show you how to use it. So it's going to have a little bit of a learning curve, but it is a packet sniffer. It is available um, for the the Mac. And basically, you run the sniffing tool, and then I think you use Wireshark to actually analyze the data in different ways and visualize it and kind of see what's going on. Um, it actually turns out that in the Mac itself, there is a built-in packet sniffer uh, in the wireless diagnostics feature. There was a great article I found on os10daily.com. I'll have a link to that in the show notes at Mac maccast.com that tells you how to use this. But basically, if you control option click the Wi-Fi icon on your Mac up in the menu bar, you can choose the open wireless diagnostics feature. And the tool will open up to a little wizard, but you don't want to use the wizard in this case. What you can do is you can choose sniffer from the Windows menu. And then that will give you an option to pick the channel and the width that you want to start sniffing, and then you can hit start um, to figure out which channel and width you might want to use, because you have to see what your Wi-Fi network is running on, and it'll vary uh, dependent, I think, your 5 gigahertz versus your 2.4 gigahertz band. But um, you can use another feature of the wireless di diagnostics tool also available from the Windows that Windows menu called Scan. And so if you look at that, uh, pull up the little scan tool. It will show you the different Wi-Fi networks that are around you. You can find yours in the given band, and then you can see which channel and which uh, width that you want to sniff. So, for example, um, my devices, uh, the uh, the outdoor smart plugs that I got run on the 2.4 gigahertz band, and when I looked at the scan option, um, mine was on channel 8, with a width of 20 megahertz. And then I think my, I, I can't remember, my 5 gigahertz band was up at 80 megahertz or something like that. But you can uh, see which band, and you'll want to kind of scan the band that your devices are on um, and the width. And then uh, you can plug that into the sniffer tool and hit start. And then what happens is it will run in the background. And so you can go activate your devices. So in my case, I would, you know, tell it to turn on the lights, turn off the lights while that sniffer was running. And just be aware when the sniffer's running, it will detect, uh, disconnect whatever uh, Mac you're running it on from your Wi-Fi network. So it has to kind of disconnect to monitor 
monitor uh, the Wi-Fi, so you won't have any uh, internet out from that that Mac. Um, but you run the tool, and then when you hit stop, it will generate a, a PACP file uh, that gets saved into a temporary directory on your Mac. It's actually at slash var slash temp. Uh, so to get to that, you're probably going to have to go under the Go menu in uh, the Finder and then put in that path to go to that directory. And then you should be able to see that .pacp scan file, um, sniffer file that your Mac created. And then that file itself has to be uh, parsed or analyzed. Uh, you can use a tool like Wireshark to analyze that file and look at it. Or inside your terminal, there is a command called TCP dump. And actually, um, OS 10 Daily has the tips and tricks for how to run that. Um, even in running that, what you end up with is this pretty complex log file with a lot of information that, again, can be pretty hard to parse. So you're going to have to do a little bit of learning with Wireshark or some other tool to actually be able to analyze that. I'm also hoping that there might be some folks out in our MacCast community who are a little more f- familiar in uh, kind of doing these things and uh, could maybe give us a little bit of guidance. I'm going to have to do a little bit more research, but I did want to just answer your question and give you at least a direction to move in. So, you know, look at Wireshark, look at this uh, this tip over on uh, Mac OS X Daily, and I think that should be enough to get you started in kind of figuring out how to do packet sniffing and how to analyze this network traffic and stuff like that. These are a lot of the same tools that, you know, the security researchers are using to kind of find out about this stuff. They probably have even more advanced tools, but uh, this should be enough to get you started. And as a matter of fact, in just playing around with this and looking at it, I was able to get some more information uh, about my devices. Another place you could potentially look to is your router. So um, I went into my router admin. I have Orbeez, and so they have a web interface, and I was able to go in there and get a little more information about the devices. I actually found out that they were Tuya devices, T-U-Y-A, and I could also see the uh, the MAC addresses that they were using and the IPs that they were connected on, uh, and that information was useful uh, to be able to identify in those sniffer logs which devices I was seeing on the network. So I could see what they were doing. I could see where they were. Interestingly enough to me, it looked like mine were actually not calling outside my network. I didn't see any uh, external calls, which is ultimately a good thing. It gave me a little bit more peace of mind uh, that they weren't actually phoning home or anything like that. But I have to dig in, like I said, a little bit more. Um, And, uh, you know, again, I'll be digging in. Uh, Hopefully, as I learn more, I'll be able to share more on uh, future episodes of the MacCast. Right now, I look at the thing and it looks like a lot of gibberish, but I I think that should be enough to probably get you started and uh, and good luck with that. And again, if you're in the community and you have uh, additional tools, packet sniffing tools or analysis tools you think that might be helpful for us, uh, please send those along. Send your emails and audio comments to maccast at gmail.com. And then lastly in the show for today, like I've mentioned the past few episodes, uh, we're kind of giving out holiday gift ideas or just cool things that we think others in our Mac and Apple community will uh, be interested in and like. And I got a couple more of those to share with you this week. The first is from Bob. Uh, He is recommending an Apple Pencil alternative that he found on Amazon. I think it's just simply called the Stylus Pencil. 
it is a uh, cheaper version of an Apple Pencil. It's just $29 US, $29.99. Actually comes available in three different colors, black, white, and pink. Um, it charges via USB-C, so there's no magnetic charging support. Uh, it's styled more like an Apple Pencil 2. And Bob says overall, you know, it feels great for him and it works great. It has good battery life. Um, he did note that the on-off switch, it has an on-off switch on the end, kind of like where the eraser would be. Um, he says that's a little bit sensitive for his feeling, uh, he does also admit that he's not using it for serious drawing. Um, I did a little research on it, and it looks like it does not work with older iPads. So you have to have a, uh, a 2018 or later model. Anything pre-2018 doesn't seem to work. Uh, the Amazon listing for it says that it does offer tilt sensitivity, but some of the reviews claim that that doesn't work. So again, it's a lower cost device. So you need to be aware it's going to have some limitations versus, you know, Apple's pencil at, you know, a, basically a quarter of the cost or a third of the cost. Um, there's no pressure sensitivity, um, but it could be a really great option, I think, for younger children and, a, and an iPad where maybe you don't want to give them a really expensive Apple pencil that they might lose. Also, if you're just interested in taking notes or something like that, doing simple note-taking and just want something a little less expensive, I really think this could be a good option for you. So, Bob, I appreciate you sending that in. It's always nice to have uh, different options at different price points for things and to know that, hey, I don't have to spend all that money on an Apple Pencil if all I need is something for simple note-taking. And maybe I want a different color. I want a black one or a pink one. So, that's pretty cool. I'll have a link to it in the show notes at maccast.com. And then Robert wrote in uh, with his pick for a car mount um, for your iPhone. He says he really likes the Peak Design car mount. It is about 80 bucks US, $79.95. Uh, this mounts to your dash or someplace on your car. It is compatible with Apple's MagSafe cases or Peak Design also has their own magnetic cases. Uh, the advantage of this particular mount seems to be that it has a really cool styling. It's really nice and minimalistic, uh, but also has very, very strong holding magnets. So if you've uh, used other magnetic mounts in your car and found that they vibrate off, this might be a good option for you. Robert says it works really, really well. He's found with Apple's MagSafe cases and the Peak Design cases, but he did note that some other third-party cases that claim to be MagSafe compatible don't work quite as well, so uh, your mileage may vary. One thing that I thought was pretty cool about the Peak Design product is that they are guaranteed for life. So they have a lifetime guarantee on their products, so they obviously really stand behind uh, the quality of the product. And so if you are looking for a, uh, a nice looking car mount and uh, been out there searching and been not happy with maybe some of the other options out there, take a look at this one, uh, Peak Design Car Mount. And again, I'll have a link to it in the show notes at maccast.com. And Robert, thank you for sending along your recommendation. So we still have a little bit more time before the holidays. If you do have a holiday pick, something cool you think other MacCast listeners would appreciate or be interested in, uh, continue to send those along. I welcome your audio comments and your emails to maccast at gmail.com. But with that, that is going to do it for the episode for this week. Uh, before I leave you, I'd like to thank uh, 
Cashfly for providing bandwidth for the shows. They're at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. And all advertising on the MacCast is handled by Backbeat Media, and you can find them at BackbeatMedia.com. As always, I love hearing from you. If you have a comment, a question, something you'd like to hear covered on a future episode of the MacCast, you can send your emails and audio comments to MacCast at gmail.com. You're also welcome to call in on the listener hotline. That phone number is 281-622-4269, 281-MAC-IM-9. And if you need show notes, links to anything that I talked about on this or any other episode of the MacCast, you'll find those on the website. That's at MacCast.com. And finally, if you want to follow me on social media, you can find me on Twitter, twitter.com slash MacCast. You can check out the MacCast Facebook page over at facebook.com slash the MacCast or find me on Instagram, just MacCast on Instagram. But with that, that will do it for now. Until next time, I will talk to you all again real soon.